BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. It's time to Ben Jaroska show as I speak. It is Tuesday, April 11th, 2023. One week after Chicago's election. <laughs> Just loves it. I still got that election bug in me. Hasn't left yet. All right. Uh, Brandon Johnson was victorious over what's his name. I can't remember his name. Come on, Chicago, all you people that voted for what's-his-name. Do you remember his name? I know you're a little embarrassed, most of you, you voted for him. <laughs> Especially since Chicago got the convention, which you probably wouldn't have gotten if old what's-his-name had been elected. What's-his-name, Chicago? Hey, Northsiders who voted for him, what's-his-name? Anyway, I'm going to, uh, as I do with every bonus interview, I'll start off with a, a story that's in the paper. And this one's apropos. Uh, to uh, what I'll be talking about with my distinguished guest who is uh, patiently waiting uh, on deck. Uh, so this comes from the New York Times. <laughs> I always like to make fun of the New York Times a little bit because they're always like a step behind the time. Even though they're a daily newspaper, they got like 5 billion people working there, a budget of $10 zillion. But they're, they're always worried. Here's the thing about the New York Times. They're liberal. But they're always worried that people will think they're biased because they're liberal or their model for getting clicks is to scare liberals. I figured this out. So they always like no matter what the news is, they put it in such a way as to scare liberals. Be scared, liberals. Be very, very scared. <laughs> That's their little uh, business model. Uh, but this particular story. Even the New York Times isn't quite sure how to scare uh, liberals on this one. So this has to do with the recent trends uh, in uh, just abortion laws, elections uh, affected by abortion, abortion rulings. Uh, and so the headline uh, in this story is pressured by their base on abortion, Republicans strain to find a way forward. A nice of you to write the story, New York Times, like one year after everybody knew this was a reality. You know, because usually they would go, oh, let's see, abortion ruling favors Republicans. How does this hurt Democrats? Generally how they frame everything. And here's a quote from the story, a relevant uh, quote from the story. They found this one. Uh, they were desperately searching for a Republican in the United States who has anything remotely resemble compromise uh, in his or her rhetoric regarding abortion rights. So they tracked down uh, a representative, Nancy Mace, a Republican of South Carolina. They, like, they did a whole, the, the New York Times did a nationwide search, desperately looking for any Republican. It's got some gut. They do the same thing, by the way, when it comes to Trump. They're always like, where can we find a Republican who will actually say that Donald Trump should be punished for his alleged misdeeds. It's hard. I'm not quite sure which is harder. Finding a Republican who says Donald Trump should be punished for his misdeeds or finding a Republican who says, I don't know, maybe it's a good idea to have a little compromise on this thing called abortion. 
which has only been around since like forever. Anyway, um, here's this article. <laughs> the New York Times finally getting hip. Some Republicans are warning that the uncompromising position of their party's activist base could be leading them over an electoral cliff next year. Oh, like it didn't lead them over one last year and two years before that. Quote, here's where they drag up Nancy Mace from South Carolina. If we could show that we care just a little bit. I'm sorry, I'm trying to read this with a, a straight face. It's like like she's talking about showing compassion and caring, but in just total political terms, just a shred of it. Follow this, folks. If we could show that we could, if we can show that we care just a little bit, that we have some compassion, we could show the country our policies are reasonable. <laughs> reasonable. Like, is that all it takes? A little bit of compassion? What about a lot of compassion? Well, that would be remarkable for the Republican Party. But because we keep going down these rabbit holes of extremism, we're just going to keep losing, says Nancy Mace. Let me explain something to you, Republicans. Let me explain something uh, to you swing voters and Dems out there. The Republican Party is controlled by a cult. And that cult is not bending. And that cult wants to eliminate abortion in this country. They want to make abortion illegal. Don't kid yourself. I've heard the cultists speak. There was the cultist leader. I forget his name. He's the chief strategist for them. And I heard him on the Terry Gross show. And like Terry Gross, who's this liberal uh, NPR uh, talk show host, very good interviewer. Got to give her a lot of credit. But you could tell she's real liberal and she believes in a woman's right to choose. She was everything she could to keep from like really lashing out at the dude. But oh boy, whatever his name was, and I cannot remember his name. So I humbly apologize to Mr. I hate abortion, whatever your name was, some lawyer. He was like, he was making it clear. There are some states. Are, no, he said our ultimate goal is abolition of abortion in our country. But I realize there are some states where that cannot be achieved. This is right after Roe was overturned, so it's state by state. So there will be a little more, what, pragmatic? What the heck does that mean? <laughs> you know what that means, swing voters? That means they're trying to figure out some way to come up with some contrivance that will convince just enough of you to think, hmm, <laughs> maybe I can justify voting Republican for the tax break that they're offering. Anyway, good luck, Nancy Mace. You're the one Republican apparently in the country that the New York Times could follow that isn't a freaking lunatic. Uh, we got to have some, not a lot of compassion, just a little bit of compassion. All right. I've said enough for the moment. I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself as I ask all distinguished guests to introduce herself. So take it away, distinguished guests. Thank you, Ben. Uh, happy to be here um, for everyone listening to the podcast. So my name is Sarah Garza Resnick. I'm a lifelong Chicagoan. Uh, in January, I became the new head of uh, uh, Personal Pack, which is the only pack that we know of uh, in the country. So Back in the day, Illinois was not a pro-choice state. And 34 years ago, our founder, Marcy Love, who uh, hails from Wilmette and is a wonderful, wonderful feminist, started Personal Pack at her kitchen table. Um, and she said she wanted to create a political action committee that sole focus would be to make sure um, that abortion rights were legal here in Illinois. And they hired Terry Cosgrove soon after that. And he was a long time, 34 years, um, the CEO of Personal Pack, and he decided to retire after a very, very amazingly successful career of making Illinois one of the most pro-choice um, states in the country. So I just took it over. You know, Terry is a frequent guest on your show. Uh, I um, love politics. I've been in politics my entire life. The last 13 years, I've been in Cook County government um, either lawyering or being the chief of staff uh, for both David Orr and Fritz Kage. Um, And I spent my whole 20s working on political campaigns when I wasn't in grad school. And so this job is really the marriage of all of those skills that I gained over the years. And frankly, they're 
is no issue that is more important to me than my and my fellow women and all people who can become pregnant bodily autonomy. Um, this is it. Without choice, we women have nothing. Um, we do not have the freedom to be who we want to be. I myself had an abortion when I was 22 years old, um, and I wouldn't be who I am without that. And I was always staunchly pro-choice, but it wasn't until I became a mother, I have two young children, um, that I became even more rapidly pro-choice because I've had very difficult jobs working for some of the most progressive, reform-oriented elected officials. And that is tough work here in Illinois. Um, But being a mother by far is so much harder and nobody should ever be forced into becoming a parent. And frankly, children don't deserve that type of life. Being a kind, patient, gentle parent and raising kind and compassionate people takes every ounce of um, self-knowing and desire to have be a parent. And so now that I am a parent myself, I am so proud to lead this organization um, to make sure that Illinois stays strong in this incredibly chaotic space um, that all women find themselves in right now. Yeah. All right. And uh, yeah, shout out to Terry Cosgrove, uh, TC. I know you're listening to this thing uh, to see how Sarah does on her first Ben Jarofsky show interview. Uh, I've known Terry Cosgrove for a very long time, Sarah. He's been bossing me around since about 1990, I want to say. Uh, and uh, I know Marcy Love, too. She's been on the show, so shout out to Marcy Love. All right. Um, so we're really kind of in this bizarre world right now uh, with abortion rights. And and uh, it's sort of summed up by the New York Times article that I just cited, where politically, uh, Sarah, uh, the driving force in the last elections uh, has been the um, pro-choice side. Ever since Roe, ever since the Roe decision that came down, what was it, last June, I want to say, uh, in 2022, um, the pro-choice forces have just been powerful at the polls because the reality is that with Roe gone, states are free to abolish abortion rights outlaw abortion. Uh, and uh, it is clear that the public does not that want that to happen. And yet, as I started the show by saying, uh, the Republicans will not compromise on this. Uh, no matter how many pleas the one person in the party, I think Nancy Mace, uh, has for them to compromise, they will not compromise. And we saw that in action I think it was last week with a judge's ruling, a federal judge's ruling uh, out of Texas regarding the abortion pill, which has just, by the way, Terry said they would wait until after the Wisconsin uh, state Supreme Court race before they released that because they knew that that would just drive more pro-choice people to the polls and guarantee Daniel Kelly's a loss, which occurred anyway. Um, so why don't you try to update us a little bit uh, on the situation regarding uh, the uh, abortion pill uh, in the aftermath of that judge's ruling? Yeah. So again, this is part of the chaos that I believe the anti-choice movement is trying to bring to all of us. Um, so if there's confusion, then they think that there will be fewer abortions, even in places where it is legal. So there are two cases that were uh, orders that were both issued on um, Friday evening, one from Texas, uh, a Trump-appointed judge um, who is openly very, very anti-choice, um, even, I think, put his child in a shirt that says um, the post-Roe generation, or I'm lucky I survived the Roe generation. So this is how staunch this judge is. And there was also another case uh, in Washington state by a federal court. So the Texas case um, is unprecedented. We have never seen anything like this. There are normally two, I'm not a doctor, but there are normally two pills that are prescribed to people who are seeking a medicated abortion, um, mifepristone and misopristol. I'll call them MIFI and MISO for short because I'll butcher the, uh, the medical names for them because I'm not a doctor. So this case is about MIFI. And both pills are prescribed to people who are seeking abortions. They both do two different things. Um, 
And Miffy uh, has been approved by the FDA over 20 years ago. It has been used by countless numbers of people. This is a safe and a long time approved drug. And what the judge did um, was an egregious overreach and it's legally unprecedented. Um, and in fact, hundreds of uh, executives from pharmaceutical companies issued a letter today condemning this decision and the chilling effect that it will, if it is allowed to stand, that will have on research and development of life-saving drugs um, way beyond this. Um, it has profound implications on our healthcare system. Um, so the Texas court did its own, rather than the Texas judge is not a doctor and they went on their own fact-finding mission and basically cut and paste out of the anti-choice movement's briefing in this to say that they don't think that this drug is safe and it is risky and harmful, despite the fact that it has been in use for 23 years and has no um, has never been found to be safe. And they are supplanting the FDA's scientific knowledge and medical knowledge about what is um, safe for human consumption. Um, and it's being replaced by a federal judge that knows nothing about um, medical decisions. On the other hand, um, some progressive-minded attorney generals, including our attorney general, filed a case in Washington state um, and the Washington state judge looked at copious amounts of evidence about Miffy's safety and decided that the FDA should maintain its status quo. So both of these decisions come out. Um, the Texas judge ordered a seven-day stay. So if nothing happens at the end of the seven days, effectively, the judge believes that this will mean FDA has to take it off of the market. And it's the manufacturing and it's the distribution of it. It is more than just the FDA approval. Um, and so we don't know exactly what's going to happen um, right now because we are in unchartered territory. Normally, um, the, the Department of Justice did file an appeal in this case. So it will go, the Texas case will go to the Fifth Circuit, um, which is a conservative leaning circuit court um, judge, judge panel. And the Washington case will go to the Ninth Circuit, and that is a more progressive-minded um, judicial panel. And then if there's a conflict, it will go to the United States Supreme Court. And we all know who sits on that and what their beliefs are. Yeah. Now, let's just follow this, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so, again, I, be I began by saying, uh, alluding to that interview I heard on the Terry Gross with the uh, the legal brains behind the anti-abortion um, movement, they do they they will do whatever they can to outlaw abortion. So on the one hand, their big legal accomplishment from their point of view was the eradication of Roe, throwing everything back to the states. And so you see the particular stance that uh, statewide Republicans are taking. Uh, in order to diffuse this as an issue at the polls, Fami and Sarah, is that it's a state-by-state -state decision. Each state should have uh, its own opportunity to make its own laws, and we will abide by that. We, as uh, U.S. senators, should not get involved. So that's their position when it comes to abortion uh, and when in, in, I guess, in a clinic. Uh, it, when it comes to the abortion pill, they're going to say, Across the country, across the board, no matter what the state wants to do, no matter if Illinois wants to have the abortion pill or California wants to have the abortion pill, they're going to eradicate it because we can't trust the FDA. This is why I say they're pretty slick. They don't, they don't care what they say, Sarah, as long as what they say means no abortions in the USA. That's what it comes down to. They'll say state rights one day and they'll say federal rights the next day. And it's all pretty much the same uh, because the point of the whole thing is not to make a co coherent, cogent legal argument. The point of it is to use the courts to obliterate a woman's right uh, to have an abortion. That is my take on things. What's your, what's your view of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to, Go back to the facts. 50% of abortions um, happen with medicated abortions. 
And this medication is not only used for abortions, it's also used by people who are having miscarriages, but it's not passing on its own. So this medication is also vitally important for the women who find themselves in that case where they don't have to go into a doctor's office for a surgical procedure, but while they're grieving, they can be in the privacy of their own homes. And these are decisions that frankly are between a woman or a pregnant person and their doctor. No one else should be involved in this. Um, I mean, I always think like, what if this was the same case for Viagra or uh, a, a Lipitor? I mean, could you imagine what the world would be saying? But this is an assault on women. Also, the important thing legally to point out is that um, for any FDA approved drug, there is a, a remedy already of how to challenge a drug. That statute of limitations is six years and it is well past, long past. And also there is a remedy um, where there, they, someone could challenge it. There are public hearings. There's open dialogue about this. Um, the people who filed this bill, the anti-choice movement, did nothing, did not follow protocol whatsoever to challenge this. Um, and so this is writ large ab about controlling our bodies. And I do think it's because free women scare people <laughs> and that we deserve our own trajectory in life. And that is why abortion care is so essential. And this is just everyday care. And you talked about the New York Times, but I would say all media right now is writing about abortion and they're finding the saddest, most awful stories um, about what these laws and these bans are inflicting upon women. But this is, while those stories are very serious and I feel deeply compassionate for every one of those women who has to carry um, a fetus to term that they know un with complete certainty is going to die a painful death, you know, hours after their death. As someone who's labored two children, I cannot imagine having to give birth to a child under those circumstances. But I also just want to center this in that abortion care is just normal, everyday care that we have every right to go seek out without anyone else interfering with it. And I do think that they are, their goal is an outright ban on abortion. And in my opinion, there is no center on abortion. There is either our tagline at Personal Pack is, you know, 100% pro-choice, no exceptions. Because you cannot write public policy that um, can possibly encompass every single different iteration. And if there are exceptions, there will always be people who try and find ways not to give us those exceptions. And we should not have to go explain ourselves. What we choose to do with our bodies is our choice, period. Hmm. All right. So uh, let's work from the assumption that the Supremes will side with that judge in Texas as opposed to the judge in Washington. I'm just, I think that is a fair assumption to make at this point uh, since uh, the um, they got five anti-abortion votes locked up. Uh, maybe they'll prove me wrong, but let's just work from that assumption. So what's the practical impact in a state like Illinois, which is right now very much pro-choice state, uh, if uh, the Fed, if, if the Supremes side with the judge in Texas? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, pro-choice states and states where the voters, the people, our democracy, want abortion to be legal, we're all trying to figure that out right now, right? Um, what can we legally do that is separate um, and apart? Uh, does it, what, what can the state legislate? And because this has never happened before, we're all in uncharted territory, but I can tell your listeners that we have amazing leaders here in Illinois that our Governor Pritzker and Lieutenant Governor Stratton and uh, Attorney General Kwame Raoul are on this. I have spoken to many of the people in their offices and they are going through every possible iteration. And I have no doubt in my mind that as long as we continue to elect pro-choice leaders like them, that they will do everything in their power um, to uh, keep medicated abortions legal. Now, the important thing to note that while in the United States, it is the 
the medical advice of doctors and professionals to give both the miso and the miffy pill. In a lot of other parts of the world, it is only uh, the miso um, part of the pill that has some um, complications. Again, I'm not a doctor, um, but it is possible to still have medicated abortion with only the pill that was not challenged in uh, the Texas case. So medicated abortion will still be possible and legal. Do I think they might go after that one next? Probably. And I think what everyone has to remember is we did have a time in our recent past before Roe where abortion was illegal. And what happened is women died. We die. So that's what we're talking about. Um, is that people who are in existence on this planet right now, abortion will continue. There will be a black market. And frankly, I think wealthy women and women with means will always find a way to get legal, not legal, safe abortions. And that um, our low income, our women of color will be the ones who die. And that is really very sad to go back to that very dark part of our history. And and uh, this goes back to way before uh, your time, but I've always thought a crucial mistake, huge mistake that the Democratic Party made was the Hyde Amendment back in the seventies. This was long before you got in the game, Sarah. Before you, I don't even know if you were born yet, but that again, you said there is no center uh, when it comes to abortion. The Dems. Oh, God, how my beloved Dems are always looking for a center, and they usually sell out. This is me speaking, not Sarah. She has to deal with these people. Uh, but they're always looking for some like point they could, like a compromise point in the center uh, that they could sell them to the, the people of middle America. And they don't seem to understand that the other side is just taking advantage of those compromises to continually move the uh, discussion debate on any issue further to the right. They, the, the Dems act like the, the other side's playing it legit. And the other side's not playing it legit. I don't know how long it's going to take Democrats to understand that. Uh, but when the Hyde Amendment happened, to your point, uh, that's when they took away federal uh, funding for uh, poor women to get abortions. Uh, and um, that undercut the principle that this is a choice, that this is a safe uh, medical procedure, and that it should be available to all women. And so now we have this situation that you were just getting at uh, where it'll be those with, of means can get an abortion and those who don't have the means uh, will be left behind. Uh, and so that brings me to your role in the, the recent Chicago election. And uh, Personal PAC got involved endorsing Brandon Johnson uh, over Paul Vallis. Uh, why did you do that? Uh, and sort of what is the long-term goal of having done that? Yeah. So I think there's two important things that could talk about the mayor's race and also the importance of local elections in a post-row world. Um, so it is no longer okay just to say you're pro-choice and it's a box we check and we move on. The Dobbs decision specifically says that now it is up to the states and local governments to decide whether they want abortion to be legal. Because of personal, the long work of Personal PAC and other stakeholders, we are very fortunate to live in a state that has so many safety provisions for women. And, you know, as our governor says, we trust women. And that's who should be making decisions about our bodily autonomy. So um, like we do in, uh, we've done in, we got involved, Personal PAC was involved in the last municipal election um, between uh, Mayor Lightfoot and President Preckwinkle. And um, when I got the job, I absolutely told the board that we needed to be involved at the local level um, in this post-row environment. So we sent out questionnaires that were city-centric. What are things the city can do, which is a lot. So a lot of voters don't know this, right? They're like, oh, why are you guys getting involved? Well, because we're on the front lines right now. Um, and I look to what New York and LA and other cities have done. I will give total credit to Mayor Lightfoot. She has done a lot since the Dobbs decision to protect um, women and the city council has, and they deserve credit for that. So we didn't get involved until after the runoff. 
Um, and I'm happy to talk later about what I think the city can do, which are very specific, great things um, and continue to do. And our board sits down with both candidates. It's the board that makes our endorsement decisions. Um, and we take our responsibility that for 30 years, the voters, pro-choice voters of Illinois have turned to personal PAC to say, who can I trust? Who will have my back? And as I said, just saying you're pro-choice isn't enough. And Brandon had a long history as a, as a movement builder, as somebody that believes in the intersectionality of lots of things. Um, in, and as a Cook County commissioner, he both helps to, you know, they vote to fund Cook County Hospital, which thanks to President Preckwinkle has a, um, a very good reproductive health practice at the hospital for low-income women and all women. Um, and other votes that the board, the county board had done. Brandon Johnson, Mayor-elect Johnson, had a track record. And he came to us in his interview um, open-hearted and wanting to be a partner. Um, and so the board decided um, Paul Vallis had never done anything. He had never posted anything on social media. He hadn't been a good partner. Um, and that saying you're pro-choice isn't enough right now. Um, and personally, I was very concerned about his um, going to Awake Illinois events. Um, they are a very dangerous faction that is growing here under Dan Proft, um, you know, connected to what Dan Proft is doing. And you can see a world where Illinois, how Illinois becomes purple and we lose our rights. The anti-choice movement knows they can't come at us directly anymore. They're going to lose on abortion here. And frankly, they're losing an abortion even in red states, right? And so I think they're making an end run, this Awake Illinois and running people for school boards and library boards and the attack on trans people, the attack on book banning, the attack on age-appropriate sexual education is so fundamentally linked to reproductive rights and equitable access to those um, re reproductive rights. And so we had to stand up and say, no, not here. Chicago is the third largest city in America. Our mayor has a huge voice. And as we all live, I mean, sometimes having this job feels like I'm living, working in a newsroom. It is changing day by day. We need a mayor on the fifth floor that is going to not only say they're pro-choice, but actively collaborate with our Cook County board president, collaborate with our governor and our legislature to make sure that women here in Illinois are as safe as humanly possible. So people don't have to die in back alley abortions or taking black market drugs. Um, we our stamp of approval has to be more than a check mark. This is about our lives. And so that is why we got involved. Um, and I will continue to educate, Personal PAC will continue to educate people about why this matters on a local level. Sarah, did you guys get uh, uh, resistance after you came out with your endorsement of Brandon Johnson? Did people call you up, threaten to, uh, not to fund you anymore, try to bully you around on this because you went against Vallis? There were a handful of people, right? Politics is really personal. Um, you know, Mr. Vallis has worked in Chicago for a long time. There are people who are personally his friends. Um, and I always, I mean, endorsement work is hard and you're always going to anger people. Um, and I offered to every, the handful of people that reached out to me and said, let's sit down, let's talk about these important issues. Um, because they don't, you know, not everyone has a job like mine where their, their job is to watch the trends and to see what's going on and to know where the forces are. Um, no one's taken me up on it yet and that's okay. Um, I believe always when we disagree with people that we should just have a conversation about it. Um, but, you know, I can't change everyone overnight. And that's, I'm okay with that. Well, well you're carrying on a tradition uh, that uh, Terry uh, began and uh, Marcy Love began. And that is this when you say uh, no exceptions. Uh, again, before your time, a fight that went down before your time. Rahm Emanuel, Mayor Rahm, Mayor of the city of Chicago, 
who was pro-choice pretty much as far as I could tell his entire political career, uh, was going to give some TIF money, $5 million, uh, to a hospital that was vehemently anti-abortion. And uh, personal pack went into gear. And I had to give TC credit for this one because I always teased him. I go, you guys are so wimpy on every other issue except for abortion rights. And he would give me back, uh, Sarah. But you, you, f- you really forced that issue. And you, it, was one, it was a vote in the city council that almost went against Rom. Uh, and so I guess the warning was sent, Sarah, that there are no exceptions in Chicago on this issue and that uh, personal PAC will take a strong stand even in Chicago where you have leaders uh, who in name are supporters of abortion rights uh, if personal PAC thinks uh, they're just what? swerving from where they should be. Am I correct in that? Yeah. You can't just say you're pro-choice. We need affirmative, positive, vigorous action on this issue. Um, and that is how we're, it's not what we've always done, but it's even more important now post-Roe. And you were mentioning before uh, we lose track of this, of proactive things that the city can do. Uh, in these uh, uncertain times, particularly with the uh, uh, abortion pill decision. What are some of those proactive things the city can do? Yeah, so um, we are, the city is providing funding to the Chicago Abortion Fund, which helps people travel, people here, people from out of state. It is important for your listeners to know that Illinois is exponentially the, the, the biggest recipient of medical refugees seeking care. Um, because of our proximity to um, uh, anti-choice states. So there's funding, there's money. Um, there is a policy person who's amazing, and she sits in the mayor's office, and her sole role is about women's issues, especially reproductive rights. The Chicago Department of Public Health um, is doing a lot of work about contraceptions, their uh, access Um, for teenagers and everybody else. We have asked the Chicago Department of Public Health and Mayor um, Elect Johnson has agreed to a very long list um, of things that we want to both keep what Mayor Lightfoot has done and also expand it. Um, We need somebody that in the policy shop who this is their sole job is to think about this and to partner with us. Um, The Providing the Chicago Department of Public Health can provide, like what the New York Department of Public Health is, medicated abortion pills um, at their clinics. Um, we want to, this, it's moving right now through the legislature, but there's something called crisis pregnancy centers, which are basically tricking young, mostly young women and women of color. Uh, and as a woman of color, it pisses me off to no end that. Uh, are you in crisis, basically, come here. And people think they're going to go see a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a physician assistant. It is no such thing. Um, they do not give you the full spectrum of reproductive health care choices that people have here in Illinois. They don't talk about abortions. Um, and then they trick you and make you feel badly. So we want to limit there are these clinics in Chicago. They advertise on our public transit systems. We must go after them um, because there's so much mis- and disinformation and they are just adding to it. So uh, Mayor-elect Johnson has agreed to do that. Um, I, You know, I, my children attend Chicago public schools and there, there actually is very good sexual health education. But I think looking at all of that and how are we doing this in an age-appropriate way where obviously parents have opt-outs if they don't want their children to hear it. I do agree with that. I think parents should know. I always go and talk to the gym teacher who usually teaches it and says, I want to see the curriculum. And they do do parents' night so the parents could see it because I want my child to hear it from me first before they hear it at school. Um, There is so much work to do, um, making sure that the Police department is working with the abortion clinics to keep the barriers up so that anti-choice protesters do not cause any more trauma than um, is. I am. I respect the First Amendment, but 
It also can, they don't need to stand right next to you while you're walking in to get medical care from a uh, medical professional. So there is so much to be done. Um, and for the city to continue to be a good partner of the Chicago Abortion Fund, which is doing just crucial work, helping people who are in trauma. I mean, I often think of what it would be like to wake up and find out you're pregnant in an anti-choice state and people are scared to Google on their phones and computers. And we are now seeing aiding and abetting laws um, where people are going to start to be charged criminally in other states or Idaho. I think it was Idaho just passed. You can't travel. Are, are they going to start making us pee on sticks before I drive across a border? I mean, this is yeah, just insane. Uh, uh, that was a great riff. I um, Let's just point out uh, about the First Amendment. And this is, again, uh, there are there are no principles in the Republican Party, me speaking, not Sarah. Uh, and uh, so uh, right now MAGA says uh, some big old dude has a First Amendment protection right to yell in the face of a woman seeking an abortion. That's his First Amendment protection right. Uh, but a teacher in Florida does not have a First Amendment protection right uh, to teach, I don't know, an Anne Frank book. Uh, in her classroom or his classroom because they decided what teachers can say, what teachers can teach. So the First Amendment has got to go both ways, MAGA. Uh, but again, it's not about protecting the First Amendment. In this case, it's about using the First Amendment uh, as a, a, a hammer uh, to destroy abortion rights, just like uh, it's not about state law, uh, state rights when when it came to um, obliterating Roe. It's just whatever you have to do to obliterate abortion rights. So Sarah, it's, really, it's like you can't really have a, a rational debate with somebody who doesn't stand or believe of anything. They just shift their position for whatever uh, serves their interests. It's to be very frustrating. And that's why I do believe you just got to say uh, there is no center with abortion. <laughs> Poor Nancy Mace. I'm looking for compassion. Uh, all right. Uh, you mentioned uh, Awake Illinois. Uh, and um, that's the group, uh, extreme right-wing group out in the Burbs. Uh, Paul Vallis went uh, to one of their fundraisers in the summer, maybe the dumbest single thing he's ever done. Uh, and uh, they were uh, very active in some of the campaigns out in the Burbs uh, to elect uh, school board officials who would, uh, again, hiding under uh, the cloak of parent rights, uh, would try to um, restrict what teachers could teach and deny them their First Amendment rights. So I know you're paying attention to this stuff. Uh, how well did uh, Awake Illinois and uh, the anti-First Amendment groups do? That's how I look at them uh, in the school board races. Yeah, I mean, thankfully, they didn't do well. Um, so they're two main groups. There's the Awake Illinois, or three, the Awake Illinois 1776 pack and Moms for Liberty. Um, and these are all parental rights groups that came out of the COVID age, um, but are way, way beyond vaccines and masks and kids attending schools. So the 1776 project, uh, they endorsed 17 people, um, candidates, and 13 of them lost. Awake Illinois endorsed 124 and 90 of them lost. Um, so it was a good night. Uh, there are some districts that did elect these people. Um, and, you know, I, parents and the other people on the boards are going to have to start to organize. And as a working parent myself, or and I think people who stay at home are also working parents, being a parent in general is a very taxing thing to do. Um, you know, we have to make sure our children, the basics, but also their homework and the extracurriculars. And like my kids, you know, are tonight are starting the soccer and baseball circuit. And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to sit outside in a chair when I'm not doing this um, <laughs> for the next four months. And I enjoy watching them play. But what we don't have time to do is to know every little thing that's going on in our school boards and to attend meetings. But at the end of the day, the majority of parents are with us. 
They want their children to learn sex, age-appropriate sexual education. They do not want books to be banned. They do not want teachers to be fired over th- showing a picture of the statue of David, right? Like, this is crazy town. But they're us parents, our children are watching us. And we could tell what's going on with the youth vote. The youth are horrified by what this country is doing right now. And so it's like why I'm getting solar panels and an EV vehicle. I want my children to know that I did everything I could. Um, And this is the time where parents are going to have to say, I don't want to go to that meeting. I don't want to have to get a babysitter. And they're going to have to start showing up at meetings and speaking up. And so the places where they won, which was thankfully few and far between, I we are we just hired a director of organizing and data and we are going to help organize those parents because if you don't have appropriate sexual education it is the building block of bodily autonomy. Um and so we have to do that and they're also not going to give up. Let's talk about who's funding these people. These are coke brother funding them. These people are not going to give up. And do you know why? Because if Illinois falls, if we don't become an anti-choice state, all that is left for the center of this country are the coasts. And they know that. So Illinois has this giant, giant target on our back. Yeah, no, that is absolutely true. Uh, And I have a feeling right now uh, that Illinois attitudes are finally getting a foothold uh, after a long 10 years uh, in Wisconsin and Michigan. And that's part of the reason why uh, Biden, President Biden uh, gave uh, Chicago the convention. Uh, it's just part of their effort to sort of attack, sort of establish the, this Midwest coalition of uh, Democrat states, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan. Uh, and to sort of keep from happening uh, what happened in 2016, where uh, Trump was able to peel off Wisconsin uh, and Michigan. And so that's why, again, abortion rights are fundamentally important because it's a key key component of this uh, larger effort. And I got to close by saying, I do believe a personal pact played a role uh, in the Chicago mayoral election. I do believe the literature you sent out denouncing Paul Vallis's position on abortion rights uh, and promoting Brandon Johnson's position had an impact. Particularly, you just alluded to the youth vote. Uh, I do believe that the youth vote was key. Uh, It it actually went up uh, from the February primary, uh, and folks were sifting through the evidence of what went down last week. Uh, Sarah are coming to the conclusion uh, that 80%, 80%, the rock solid 80% of black vote uh, that went to Brandon Johnson was the absolute number one fundamental reason he was elected. And behind that was the, when you start talking about the white vote, uh, youth vote, which distinguished between like the geezers in the family and the teenagers or the 20 the somethings in the family, uh, and then uh, North Side women, white women. Uh, probably voted for Brandon at a much higher rate than a North Side white men who are pathetic as they usually are when it comes to elections. Uh, so that's me talking, not Sarah. Uh, and um, so I have to say, I got a feeling uh, that you guys played a role in that. Your thoughts? I do think we played a role in it. Um, and I think as a lifelong Chicagoan and someone who deeply, deeply loves this place and is raising my children here, we've been doing the same thing for a long time. And I basically break this down to two things. We either believe in rights, which is I think where we've been. We have rights, but we have not had equitable access to those rights. And around abortion and reproductive justice and maternal health issues, this is like the crux of it all. We need to move beyond the rights conversation and talk about who is getting access to those rights. And do you have a right if you don't have access to it? Um, And so I think we played a big role. Um, It was a beautiful, beautiful collection of people to be a part of. Um, I have not seen in my lifetime such a multicultural, multiracial, multi 
generational coalition of people that joined together to elect Brandon Johnson and to work really hard doing it. I myself was knocking on doors the day before and the day of election day for many, many, like 12 hours in Chatham. And the conversations and the people that came together, it was beautiful. And so as Mayor-elect Johnson says it himself, this is hard and this is going to be messy. Um, And I love his authenticity, his honesty about that, but it's going to take all of us. And so not only did we help elect Brandon Johnson to be our next mayor, but we're also going to hold him accountable and also be a good partner um, in how to solve some of these really complex, entrenched problems. And I asked Chicagoans just to be patient and to be open to working together um, because there is enough for all of us. We don't have to live being scared that if we share a little bit with the people who live two miles south or two miles west of us or two miles north of us, that there's going to be less for us. Um, And I think that choice and reproductive health is going to continue to be uh, the center of elections because I don't see this being resolved at the federal level, unfortunately, for a very long time. And I hope that the voters of Chicago and Illinois um, will join Personal Path in our mission to keep Illinois and Chicago uh, 100% pro-choice, no exceptions. This takes all of us. This is hard work. We're we're in the fight of our lives right now. I never, you know, this reminds me of 1933 Germany, um, and we must stay vigilant and never ever back down. All right, Sarah, uh, welcome to my humble little podcast. Thank you for uh, doing such a great job and look forward to having more conversations with you on this issue going forward, all right? Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. And everyone check out personalpack.org. There you go, Personal Pack. Spell it for them so they know how the the right way of spelling personal. (laughs) I'm like, no, am I going to spell it correctly? P-E-R-S-O-N-A-L-P-A-C.org. That was a tough question curveball i threw at her right yeah. there <laughs> i know i just screwed that one up oh god uh all right sarah uh that is sarah garza resnick and i'm ben jarofsky take care everybody.